We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Fielding the 68. It's Monday, February 20th. and We've got the Bracketology experts back to break down the official top 16 reveal. Do they agree? Do they disagree with the way the committee has the best 16 teams in the country listed as of today? We're going to break it all down for you. My name is Greg Waddell. We got Rocco Miller. We got Andy Bottoms. Gentlemen, it's great to see your faces we have plenty to talk about today. Rock, I'll throw it to you first. How are you doing, my friend? It's good to see you. Hey, it's great to see you, Greg. I'm doing great. Uh, you know, I'm trying to digest all the things from Saturday. I think a couple of the things we'll talk about created some initial shock. Uh, adjustments have been in order for the last 48 hours to try to get on their page. Um, there's a lot of guesswork from here on out, but I think we got a few clues that should help us down the stretch uh, finish with a high score in the bracket matrix, which is, you know, I think something Andy and I, uh, take pride in. Andy, is it more fun to get those clues, like the switch flips and all of a sudden there's a little intel versus doing it before where you're doing all the work yourself? Yeah, it, it does help. It's it's funny, though. I think you can find, if you go back through these, and probably we'll hit on some of these as we go, some things that were mentioned, and then you can find another team where their exclusion maybe contradicts what was said. So it's uh it's it's kind of an ongoing learning process of trying to figure it out but at least it gives you some glimpse into it and this year is as close to selection sunday as we've had it with the way the nfl schedule played out and 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 the fact that they don't want to do it until after the super bowl so there's a little bit less room for things to move um and there's still some areas of the bracket which are uh which are a little clustered at this point so uh, a lot to sort out but does give you some ideas for hey when you've got eight teams they're pretty close together or there's some things that you can look for that maybe is a separator for the committee and thus should be a separator for you. Yeah. It's been a bit of, of a messy season in college basketball at the top, at the bottom from the one seeds to the bubble. Uh, I enjoyed seeing where the committee's heads are at, but I'm more excited to hear where your heads are at gentlemen. You're the experts here. Uh, this is fielding the 68. We do this every Monday and Friday for the record. So uh, beginning of the week, we kind of get to reset, uh, take everything in from the weekend and talk about where things stand, talk forward to the week that's coming up. And then on Fridays, same thing. We recap everything that happened in the middle of the week, preview the weekend. We do this uh, those two days, 5 p.m. Eastern 
every single week leading up to the NCAA tournament this year. We are brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers as well. You can watch us on the Field of 68 YouTube channel. Click subscribe if you're over there and jump in the chat. Give us some questions. We will take your questions at the end of the show, so stick around for that. Let's just dive right in. The top 16 reveal, it happened. Uh, I think there were some surprises in store, as you mentioned, Andy. There were also some things that everyone just kind of consensus was like, yep, that makes sense. What was your overall reaction to the top 16 reveal? Uh, I mean, as an IU fan, uh, their inclusion and their inclusion as the top four seed was pretty surprising to me. Uh, and I think that's the one that you probably attempt to connect the dots and figure out why they were where they were. Uh, so I'll start there. Uh, it, it seemed like uh, a lot of credence was given to high-end road wins. Uh, that was mentioned with Houston being able to win at Virginia. That was uh, among the reasons given for them being in the number two overall spot, which I thought was another, uh, not shock. I think it was, uh, in their case, it was one that was helpful to figure out how the committee was viewing them because it's a little bit of a struggle. Um, but IU has won at Xavier and at Illinois. Uh, nothing was really mentioned about the injuries to uh, Xavier Johnson specifically. I don't, so I, it's hard to believe that that was uh, any kind of factor. And when you look down the list of some of the teams that people thought should have been there or could have been there, uh, there aren't any, you know, Q1A road wins to be found on those. So to me, that was what I took away from that for IU. Still probably had them uh, a little high in my estimation, but at least as you start to think about if there's a team, and I think thinking back to our 16 teams that we talked about on Friday, they were the only one that we didn't have in there that made it. And so again, as, a, as part of the learning process, you're trying to figure out what stood out about them to the committee. And I think that uh, was probably not all of it, but, but certainly part of it. Rocco, we'll throw it your way next. Same thing. What was your general reaction to this reveal? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, Houston was, uh, as Andy mentioned, the first surprise of the morning uh, getting announced as the second best team on the one line. Um, and I think right after that, another uh, slight surprise was Purdue being above Kansas uh, th uh, as the third number one, Kansas being the fourth number one. Um, and again, I, I don't know uh, exactly when they wrapped up their work last week. I think it would make sense if they wrapped up, you know, by Thursday and, and Chris, uh, Dr. Reynolds, who's the chairman this year, stuck around for the television spot Saturday morning uh, because Purdue got blown out Thursday night. So uh, perhaps that wasn't taken into account. Uh, I think it would be pretty hard to put uh, Purdue above Kansas when looking at that game after and all the data after that. Um, so I'm just going to assume maybe they didn't see that. Um, and then that also would explain some of the uh, areas like Iowa State and Kansas State both landing on the three line. I thought that was a little surprising. Um, and then the biggest surprise to me was UConn uh, not getting in at all. Um, I thought they were uh, probably the safest of the Big East, even though Marquette is in the lead in the league. Uh, UConn's got the win over number one Alabama. They've got a win over Iowa State, who this committee really liked at number 11 overall. Um, I, I think what it told me, especially with um, and no offense to Indiana or, or Andy, I love all you guys. Um, but just in terms of uh, away wins versus neutral wins, it told me maybe they're uh, valuing true road wins a little bit more than neutral wins, uh, because that could also start to explain why Gonzaga landed uh, at number 15 overall, which was four spots lower than I thought uh, they were going to land. I thought they were going to land at 11. I participated in a mock committee on Friday night where we you know, had seven of us all agree on them at number 11 overall. So to find them at We may have lost Rocco. Do we have a frozen Rocco on our hands right now? 
I believe I believe we did. I think oh, we, no, we, we might have be back, back Rocco. Uh, oh, Paige I apologize. Rocco. I apologize. You're back. Yeah, you're so good. Continue not... your thought. Gonzaga was uh, – you, you're saying you had him yeah, in the yeah, lock yeah. at 11. Yeah, Gonzaga, we, we all had him at 11 on Friday. Uh, that's where we agreed to put him, and I had him at 11 personally. Um, so it told me, even though Alabama win shows up as neutral, they won that game in Birmingham in an arena full of Alabama fans. Um, I don't think the committee is looking at it like that. I think they're looking at it as it's a neutral court. And in fact, I saw an interview with the chairman say it was a neutral court win. So um, again, it's just these little nuances that we're guessing at. And it just seems to be in some of these cases, uh, both UConn and Gonzaga's strongest wins all on neutral courts. And uh, they're just not getting any love from this committee. Yeah, UConn definitely jumped out to me as one that I expected to see in the top 16. I also saw quite a bit of loud noise, I feel like, in the Twitter sphere of how is UConn not on this list. Um, it's interesting, and I'm glad you guys could break it down. I didn't pick up on the the importance of the road wins uh, when I was just watching this, but now that I'm kind of jumping through and looking at resumes, it does make sense, and it certainly looks like those have been uh, the most prioritized. So we agree that UConn seems like a team that was snubbed. Is there anybody else that you would say you feel like was snubbed and warranted being in the top four seed lines as of today, Andy? I don't think so. The thing with UConn, and I think, I think it was Rocco who – tweeted about this after the the reveal it, it very much goes against what the committee has said for years in terms of total body of work as opposed to how you've played more recently and uh, a lot of UConn's best wins at least the wins away from home have all come in the non-conference and and they've uh, they've certainly dropped off a little bit since then and so that's where you know it, it I don't think it's an exact thing where they you know, started to say, Hey, I'm looking at the last 10 games the way they did in the past. But that one was interesting to me uh, as far as that goes. I, I didn't really have any other, you know, the, the teams they mentioned that were just out of it were Creighton, who I think is reasonable to put out. They do have the the Kalkbrenner injury to factor in the predictive metrics are all really good. Uh, but if you look at their work away from home, their best true road win is against Seton hall. And they have that neutral court win against Arkansas, which, has kind of ebbed and flowed in terms of how good that's that looks over the course of the season. Uh, you look at Miami, kind of the same thing. Best road win is at North Carolina. Best neutral court win is over over Providence, and and then St. Mary's. I think there's just a lot of questions there. Have beaten Gonzaga, but otherwise, best road win was against Santa Clara or BYU, and then um, you know that neutral court win against San Diego State. If if what we're uh, you know what we're interpreting is correct, those neutral court wins didn't carry as much weight. So seems somewhat hard to believe that any of those teams were really all that close. Although I think he suggested it was relatively close. Um, but just as you look at some of those teams, to me, UConn was the the clear one that uh, stood out that is who I would have had in and who I did have in uh, leading up to the reveal. Rocco, Andy mentioned Indiana being a surprise team to see in the field. Is that your most surprising team that was in the 16 that you think does not belong? Is there anybody else that fits in that same category to you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll add a second surprise to the list. Indiana was the one I didn't have in that got in. I didn't have a huge issue with them per se getting in at all. It was just where they landed as the top four. I, I would um, agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually had Indiana in the top 16 on Monday last week, if you go back and look, and it was after that loss to Northwestern, which happened, I think Wednesday, um, uh, and so, again, just depending on the timing of when the committee meetings actually took place, they may have already voted on some of this stuff. And and it was just about what order to put them in on Thursday morning. 
I, I'm starting to think maybe that's what happened because I, I don't know, you know, after that Indiana loss, um, how you would have them above some of these other teams like Marquette and Gonzaga, but they did. And, and that's, that's still interesting. And Indiana kind of helped back it up over the weekend with a uh, win over Illinois. So um, that actually helps. I think all of us feel a little bit better about it. Um, and then the other interesting thing was on multiple interviews with uh, Dr. Reynolds, the chairman, um, he talked a lot about Creighton um, and it made it seem like Creighton was very close to getting in. Uh, and the, and the fact that, you know, Andy already pointed out, Indiana's dealt with injuries. Creighton's like one of the bigger injury stories we have. He, nobody mentioned TCU, uh, but they did list in alphabetical order. Uh, so they didn't give us the exact order, but they told us Creighton, Miami, St. Mary's, and UConn were the next four. So that's, uh, to me, pretty obvious five seeds. And all four of those teams won this weekend. I think you might, I think you might have frozen again. Um on, on the Creighton thing, I, I did write down as I went back through to try to um, listen back to the the show. They did say it was razor thin for Creighton. So I guess they are they would have been the next team out. I know they were the first one listed based on uh, the alphabetical listing of those teams. But it does seem like they were number 17 uh, based on, at least based on trying to parse the comments of, of uh, Chris Reynolds. Interesting. Yeah, we did have you frozen for a second there again, Rocco. Oh, yeah. You're all good now. You're all good now. Yeah, yeah. So the last thought there. Sorry, guys. I just switched networks. Hopefully we're good to go. Um, so yeah, the last thought was they listed in alphabetical order, Creighton, Miami, St. Mary's, Yukon were all the five seeds. And so uh, effectively, uh, you know, they were the next four they listed and all those teams won this weekend. So to me, that's the no brainer five line, uh, going forward until, you know, we see some more results. I'd like to put the committee on the hot seat. This is just me speaking for myself personally, gentlemen, but if we're going to rank the top 16, but then we're just going to tell you who the next four teams are after this. I don't like that. We've got to draw the line somewhere, like leave a little mystique to it. Leave a little mystery committee. Or if you're going to tell us the next five, five teams, however many teams just rank them, keep ranking it for us. I want to know. They're I just agree. Playing into our hands. I don't like it, Rocco. It's starting to anger me a little bit. So let's move on to the one seeds before I get too angry for my own good. <laughs> Uh, we're going to bring up the consensus number one seeds right now. There should be no surprise here because guess what? It's the committee's top four seeds. Let's just go around the horn here. It's Alabama, it's Houston, it's Purdue, and it's Kansas. Rock, I'll throw to you first here. Uh, do you agree at this point that this is not just the correct four teams, but the correct order of these four teams? Yeah, so on the website today, I switched Kansas and Purdue anyway, despite what they told us, because, again, I heard some clues that they may have wrapped up before the Purdue blowout loss to Maryland. And I think if, if that were the case, you know, Kansas has certainly done enough to, to be above Purdue. Now, after the show was over, they beat Baylor at home. Right. And uh, you know, Purdue did, took care of their business, but they only played Ohio state, a non-tournament team, a team that's really falling apart as we know. So, <clears throat> you know, even if, even if we pretend like all the results were in as part of their analysis, um, Kansas might've done enough with that Baylor one to, to take them over anyway. So I'm going with that order going forward for now. Okay. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I did the same thing today as well. Um, I, I was I gave less thought to whether they had wrapped things up before Purdue lost last week, but you're really just looking at it. Once Kansas beats Baylor, I can't imagine the gap between Purdue and Kansas was all that big to begin with. And you look at Kansas, 13 quad one wins, six high quad one wins compared to nine quad one wins and, and three high uh, Q1 wins for Purdue. Uh, just, you know, 13 wins against the field, I think is what I had as of today. 
So to, to me, I think there's plenty of justification. I think the interesting part, and and Reynolds talked about uh, Houston being the second spot. His the, his comments were they're undefeated on the road and one at Virginia. Uh, the question that I would have is what is the gap between them and whether it was Purdue at the time or Kansas now or uh, whatever the case may be, you know, can Kansas pass them even if Houston wins out? Because to win out isn't really adding a whole lot to their resume other than the the season ender at, at Memphis. Now, maybe if they go through the AAC tournament and that, but at least through the regular season, they really can't do anything that, that moves the needle uh, other than keep winning versus Kansas even starting tonight has a game at TCU. They host West Virginia and Texas Tech and they go to Texas. So, uh, and that's the thing they won't really say. There's times some of that was mentioned in generalities in terms of the teams being bunched really close and different things like that. It, that's one of the things I would be curious to know because really for us, that becomes interesting in terms of Kansas has a lot more chances to gain ground. And if there's not that much ground to gain, uh, it, it makes a big difference in where the seating falls on that line. So that's something to watch, although we won't get any more insight into it. And if, if Houston keeps winning, maybe they just stay there. But uh, I made the same switch in the other two as, uh, as Rocco did. Interesting. All right. So there you go. People at home that are watching, listening. We disagree with the committee. We have Kansas three. We have Purdue four. That Kansas Baylor game was very interesting. Uh, I, I mean, what a swing, right? 13 point Baylor lead at halftime. Kansas runs them out of the gym in the second half. Now there's major implications there. Kansas is still climbing up the one seed line right now. Baylor, uh, where the committee has them, the third ranked two seed right now. Obviously, you're not going to, to ding them too much for losing at Kansas. It's a very difficult place to play. Arguably impressive that they ever had a 13-point lead in that spot. I am more curious about Purdue, though, because, guys, I, I jotted this stat, stat down last week when I was hosting After Dark, and uh, some Purdue fans are angry with me for perpetuating it. But in conference play in the Big Ten, Purdue has one win against a top 30 team, according to Ken Palm. They're one in three against teams of that caliber this season. They have two left. They host Indiana. They host Illinois. So they could pick up a few more. But when they've played the better teams in this conference, they have not exactly fared well. Right now, they're clinging on to a one seed. How realistic is it that Purdue could drop? And what's their floor? Could they fall with a couple losses to Indiana, Illinois, like all the way down to the three line, potentially, Rocco? That's an interesting question because both those games come on their home court. So if they were to lose twice in Mackey, that would kind of add a little different element to their story than they, that current thing, what currently exists today. And I think, you know, the, the two through top three with Tennessee included there, those next five teams below the one line are all very strong. They're all a couple big wins away from really getting into the conversation today. There's a really, really clear line committee members. Uh, the chairman said that very, very distinctly that, even though Texas was five overall, they were not even near the discussion for number four, uh, four overall. Um, so I think that's important. But yeah, if you lose home games and if you take a, maybe a road loss to Wisconsin, you have to continuously reevaluate. You also can't take back what they've already achieved. And outside of that, that great stat you brought up, um, they put an uh, amazing non-conference schedule where they never lost. Uh, they played in a big time event where they were able to beat teams like Marquette, Gonzaga, West Virginia, and uh, Duke. So um, Marquette was a home game. But, yeah, you get what I'm saying. It's a, it's a team that did a lot of damage early, and now they're just kind of hanging on, make sure they can get that one. But, but yeah, there are scenarios where they certainly can drop to a two. Dropping to a three is kind of hard to foresee. 
Okay. Good to know. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Uh, again, chat, if you're watching this, if you have questions on one seeds or anything else, hit us in the YouTube comments. We will answer them shortly at the end of the show. But first, we are going to hear a word from our sponsor. Let me tell you guys about our sponsor for today's episode, Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 a few weeks back. When we get in the middle of college hoop season, it can be hard for me to eat and drink as healthy as I probably should be, especially in late February and March when the schedule gets really busy. But I found that I've felt better as I've made AG1 a part of my daily routine. I take AG1 in the afternoons after the coffee is worn off and once the itis post-launch is kind of set in. And what I found, my energy levels are up. It's improved my digestion. And as a result, I'm not only more efficient and productive in the most important time of the year for me and for the field of 68, but I'm working out more consistently. I just feel better. AG1 is so much more than just a greens powder. It's comprehensive health and the power of habit in one. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally could not be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of the AG1 formula with water, and I drink it every single afternoon. Done. Just like that. I also like that it only costs $3 a day. The price is right. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is the answer. They are giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Free! Just go to athleticgreens.com backslash field 68. That's athleticgreens.com backslash field 68. The link is in the description below. Check it out. Support the field of 68 and feel better about yourself. It's time to talk bubble. Let's jump right into it. Uh, we'll start with our last four in and then we will move to our first four out. Rocco, you're going to go first for us today. Who are your last four teams in the field? Yeah, so the first two are, are kind of carryovers from Friday. Mississippi State and USC still sitting there. Uh, we'll get into them if we need to. But uh, I really want to highlight after that, uh, I have a internal cut line in my head that really those are the easiest to select. Uh, but there's not much left to select because I'm still putting a Wisconsin team in. Greg as that third to next team in. That's that if you take away Q4, they're 10 and 11. In, in their top two quads, they're nine and 11. And in the top two A, they're seven and 10. So again, like we've talked about Wisconsin to death on this show. Um, it's still the best option out of everything left, in my opinion, because they've actually proved they can win at Marquette at Iowa. They beat that same USC team I just mentioned on a neutral court and they've got a win over Maryland. So all of that registers as wins against the field. Uh, but I really don't like putting teams in that have that sub 500 record and Wisconsin's there. So if I had better options, I would have selected them over Wisconsin, a little disclaimer there. And then the last spot was even harder, uh, because I did end up going with the Lobos and this is kind of a, uh, the New Mexico Lobos. This is kind of a deep explanation. Um, I would agree with most that, uh, they do have four bad losses now. Um, most recently air force in Wyoming, which really screwed up their numbers. Uh, but play both of those games without Jalen House. And I happened to be in the arena Friday night when they were at San Jose State, and it was a completely different team. Uh, they blew San Jose State out of the water, which actually matters this year because San Jose State's like a top 100 team borderline, and it's a Q2 win. Um, but they won that game by a, a, a large margin. And it's the second time I've seen New Mexico in person. They also beat San Francisco at the other game I was at. And it's just like, when they have all three of those guys healthy, I mean, they're a three-headed monster with Mashburn, Udeze, and, of course, Jalen House. I mean, that's a tournament team. I mean, it really is. And the, and the thing New Mexico has, which matters more than any of what I just said, is two quad 1A wins. Most of the bubble doesn't uh, even have one. 
And uh, they've got that win at St. Mary's. They've got that win against San Diego State in Viejas. I think the only team that's won there all year. Uh, to me, that's a big deal. So I, I think just the fact that the committee chairman told us about the Creighton thing where they were really close, that's got to be an injury conversation. Um, I'm kind of trickling that down to the bubble conversation where I think New Mexico will get some love here based on that. And when, when they have all three of those guys, they've been mostly consistent. Um, so I'm putting them in the field, not easy to do. Uh, and that's where I'm at. I appreciate you putting them in the field because again, they top my list of teams I want to see in the NCAA tournament. I think I said that last week, uh, give me a healthy Jalen house and a healthy Jamal Mashburn jr. And uh, I really like that team. So thank you. That win over St. Mary's ages really well. Let's not forget about it. Rocco, you're doing the Lord's work. Let's move to Andy next. Andy, let's hear your last four teams in the field. Yeah, well, three of the four are the same, so I won't belabor uh, those too much and give us some time to get to, to questions if we want. Uh, West Virginia is a team that I had in that Rocco um, did not have in his last uh, last four in, at least. Uh, we talked about them a little bit on the show on Friday, and I know his reasons for that will be uh, they're 8-12 and 12 <laughs> against the top two quadrants and 9-12 and 12 against the top three. Um, you know, you look at them compared to other bubble teams, they're better in average resume metrics, they're better in average quality metrics. Uh, but they're only three games over 500, which doesn't bode particularly well for them at this point. So I, I don't know that they can uh, sustain other losses. And I believe it's tonight they play Oklahoma State. So a loss there uh, probably you know bumps them far enough because there's not a lot of separation between these teams, in my view. They do have wins over Iowa State, TCU, Auburn all at home. And if we put some of the stuff we talked about earlier in the context of how important it is to get road wins, uh, they've won at Pitt and at Texas Tech, which is aging uh, fairly well as we move forward. Uh, but overall, just four and eight in road neutral games did play a relatively tough non-conference strength of schedule. Uh, so I had them in um, at, at this point, then Mississippi State, USC and, and Wisconsin, you know, kind of similar to what what Rocco said. I, I, I sit down every time to look at this and think that I'm not going to have Wisconsin in the field. <laughs> and then you look at the number of wins that they have against tournament level teams uh, and it becomes hard to put them out in favor of some of the others um, that they, they and, and again, when we look at those road wins and the importance of that winning at Marquette, winning at Iowa seem like the kinds of things that the committee, uh, th this iteration of the committee is is looking for. So made me feel a little bit more comfortable putting them in. Yeah, I was at the uh, Cole Center this weekend for Wisconsin Rutgers, Rutgers missing Caleb McConnell, missing Mawat Mag. Big opportunity for the Badgers there. Didn't happen. Connor Sejan 0 for 10 from the floor. That's one that could certainly come back to bite them. Uh, to West Virginia quickly, I want to ask you one follow-up, Andy. They're 15 and 12 today. I know that record itself is not nearly as important as a lot of fans out there think that it is. But their remaining schedule, home against Oklahoma State tonight, home against Kansas State, the final game of the regular season, at Kansas and at Iowa State. I mean, a reasonable outcome for them feels like 2-2 two and two here. That would give them 14 regular season losses looking at a 15th in the conference tournament. Is there a point where you just, uh, is there a cutoff point with losses? Like, does it matter if they get 15 losses at a certain point? Or is that just, hey, if the metrics say they're good enough, if they have enough quality wins, we can overlook that. Uh, you know, I think there's some history there that, that can be a bit instructive. I do believe teams have gotten in in the past with 15 losses. The challenge is that most of them have, gonna, have been more games over 500 than West Virginia would be in the scenario that you played out. And I think that's almost as important as anything. Um, if they do go two and two in those games and you end up uh, 17 and 14, 
you'd almost have to win a couple more in the Big 12 tournament to get to maybe a 19 and 15 when you lose out and then feel a little bit comfortable. I think you go one and done in that tournament. I think that crosses the line, not necessarily from a loss standpoint, but just more from a, at that point, you're two games over 500. That feels like a, a bridge too far. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, all right. We are going to show our consensus last four in real quick. So here you have it. We have Mississippi State. We have USC. We have the Wisconsin team that both of these two are just desperately looking for reasons not to include in the field. And then we have West Virginia. Uh, there you have it. Let's move to our first four out now. Andy, we'll have you bat lead off here. Who are the first four teams off of your field right now? Well, the first team that I had out was New Mexico, who Rocco talked about before. And uh, I probably feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit here. They do have some of those bad losses. I think the Jalen House injury is an interesting one to speculate on how the committee will use it. But again, if you go back to this committee really seemed to value high-end road wins, winning at St. Mary's at San Diego State, uh, probably could make an argument that I uh, am not following some of the logic by having them out. Um, or the first team out to me, that was what separated them from the other teams that were on the the wrong side of the cut line at this point. Um, always difficult to, to try to do, do this with injuries. I feel like I say this a lot, um, you know, as we try to think about how to deal with those, it, it becomes a question at, at times of how do we know they would have won those games with those players? You know, we, we look at, um, you know, some of the stuff with like Hunter Couture at Virginia Tech, and then he comes back and they lose to Boston College. Well, it's like, well, then the argument that you could have won some of these other games with him goes out the window. And so you got to look at that a little bit with, uh, with the Jalen House situation. So, uh, we'll be interested to see with them, but I think they, to me, were uh, the one that was definitely closest out of these. Uh, Charleston, we've talked about a, a little bit on recent shows, so I won't uh, you know belabor that too much. They've got two games left at home. They just need to keep winning at this point. And then Utah State uh, gets a win over Nevada. They've done most of their work at home and, and lost on the road to most of the other good teams within uh, the Mountain West. So it becomes a little bit tough there, again, trying to, to – extrapolate what the committee said into how uh, a team like Utah State would be viewed, but the resume metrics are really good, which you like for inclusion, but they are 0-4 in quad one opportunities, and uh, speaking, but that's only half as many quad one opportunities as North Carolina has had, and they haven't won any either, so uh, I had them as the last team there, and I, I think everybody, a little bit similar to what we're talking about with Wisconsin, you want to write North Carolina off, and you have certainly every reason to do so, uh, but you know, when you look at the, the the strength of the bubble or whatever you want to call it, they're still at least in the mix. And for them, the home games they have remaining against Virginia and Duke uh, are paramount as as well as not losing those couple of road games. So they're still in the mix, but uh, have some work to do for sure. Yeah, a couple large opportunities loom for the Tar Heels, who have now lost five of their last six games. It's baffling. I think our own John Fanta tweeted out over the weekend, if this was not North Carolina, if they didn't have the Argyle stripes, the Carolina blue, we would not even be having this conversation. I don't know that I necessarily would say it's just the brand that has them here. I think there's a very weak bubble, but it's certainly worth considering and having a conversation about. All right, Rocco, we'll go to you now. Give us your first four teams that are out as of today. Yeah, Greg, just to clarify, I order these in order of how likely they would be to be selected right now, not necessarily in order of who would be strongest seeded or anything like that, because I do believe if Carolina finds a way in, uh, they would get a, uh, have an opportunity to get higher up with a seed uh, just with, you know, the strength of some of their, their blowout wins. And if they get that Virginia or Duke win later, um, you know, they, they might not have to go to Dayton. 
uh, and in Michigan, another team I'll mention before I jump into first four uh, out is another team with nothing but tournament teams left on the schedule. They've got a chance to get all the way into the double buy in the Big Ten tournament. And if they win a couple more of those games, um, they're going to get a lot more relevant as an at-large candidate. Um, so back to the first four out. Uh, Charleston's my first one. Uh, Charleston is a very unique case. <clears throat> you know, they just really haven't had many opportunities. Uh, but they, in, in despite the fact that they have the 296th ranked non-conference rate of the schedule, I really don't put a lot of blame on Charleston for that. They played in an elite event uh, in their backyard, the Charleston Classic, and they won it. They beat Virginia Tech, an ACC team in the championship game, had some other good wins along the uh, on the way at the time. Uh, unfortunately for Charleston, those teams didn't have good seasons. Uh, but the, the the overall body of work, um, you know, the games they've been able to play, 16 of them are in Q4. Uh, so that's tough. But they're 9-3 and three against everybody else and 11-2 and two in road games. And so, again, they're, 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 I think they're selectable if there's not good options. And right now there's not good options. So for me, they're right there. Uh, West Virginia, Andy uh, predicted pretty well uh, that the 9-12 and 12 record does give me agita. Uh, but I will add on top of that that, you know, when you have as many opportunities as West Virginia has and your best road win, even though it's against a tournament team, is at Pitt, you don't have any other road wins against tournament teams. You've had all these opportunities. It's kind of kind of a slim resume to me. Um, three home wins against the field, Iowa State, TCU, Auburn, um, and their second best road wins at Texas Tech. But after that, uh, they don't really have one. Um, and even if you take in the neutral games, they're four and eight. So they're winning one third of their games away from home. Um, there's there's a lot about this resume, much more than just the nine and 12 against the top three quads that I have trouble selecting the Mountaineers with. But obviously you get a couple wins in that league. You're right back on the good side. Um, same with Andy, Utah State. I think Andy hit them pretty well. And then I'll introduce a fourth. Uh, North Texas just continues to creep and creep closer and closer. Uh, I'm not going to have the guts to put them in quite yet. It's going to take a lot for me to do that after last year's uh, struggle when I when I truly believe they belonged. Um, but you look at this team, they lead the country with 13 wins away from home, 13-3 uh, and three in a way neutral. Their win at UAB is a stronger road win than anything North Carolina has, which North Carolina's strongest is Syracuse. And I think uh, you add in the Middle Tennessee win, which is also a quad two. Uh, you have a team that's three and three against the top two. They've actually got a lot more meat on the bone than Charleston has. So that's their case. Uh, some of the resume metrics suggest Charleston's just a hair better. Uh, but I think North Texas at least gets looked at right now. And they're my fourth team out. Interesting. Yeah. A team that has just won games consistently going all the way back to the middle of January. Uh, they have swept UAB at this point. That's got to look yes. pretty good. And with your your point about how much the committee seems to be prioritizing wins away from home, the team that leads the country, if they can just keep holding serve in games that they should win down the stretch, I think they will be in the conversation for sure. Uh, all right. Good to know. It seems like we have some overlap between our first four out right now. Uh, let's go take a look at our consensus first four out. New Mexico, the first team out of the field. Again, my favorite bubble team right now. We need to get the Lobos in the tournament. Utah State, we've got North Texas, and we have North Carolina clinging to that final spot. Crazy. We'll see where the Tar Heels end up, uh, but for now, they certainly have a lot of work to do. I have a couple teams that I want to ask you guys about that we have not talked about yet on the show. Uh, one has been lumped in with North Carolina for weeks. We've come on this very program and discussed how both of these blue bloods, they're on the bubble. Who's going to get in? Are they both going to get in? Well, Carolina trending down, Kentucky trending up. 
two huge wins this past week. Uh, anytime you can get a road win and then a win against a top 10 team in the country, you'll take that and run with it. If you are quote unquote on the bubble uh, at this point, has Kentucky earned a bid? Have they locked it up where they're not even a quote unquote bubble team at this point, Andy? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't know that I would go quite that far, but they've they've definitely played themselves in to be much safer uh, from from where the cut line is. Yeah, they do. They go to Florida, have then they host Auburn and Vandy, and then go to Arkansas. So none of those would be considered a, a horrible loss. But I do think um, you know you probably couldn't. I think if you're a lock, you can afford to lose out. I don't know that I would make that statement about uh, about Kentucky, but they had an awesome week. They they basically doubled their wins against uh, teams in the field. Uh, with those two victories and now have that sweep over Tennessee, which is going to be huge. And and certainly when you look at them compared to anybody that you'd consider on the bubble, their resume metrics and, and uh, predictive metrics are substantially better. They do still have the South Carolina loss, which, uh, which, which is not good, but um, they've definitely given themselves some breathing room and the, the eight to 10 seed lines are a jumbled mess right now with not a lot of separation between some of these teams. So you could, depending upon what you're looking for, or you think the committee's looking for, could justify them maybe up to the eight range. And if you put stock in, again, high-end road wins, that win at Tennessee is going to hold a lot of weight. Definitely. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I think Kentucky's a good use case right now of how much can shift in a week. Right. We've talked about how the bubble is so weak for any of these teams to just have a flawless week. There's a lot of movement there for the taking. If some of these teams that are on the bubble can do what Kentucky did last week and go to and oh, when their schedule gives them opportunities for really high quality wins. Rocco, I want to ask you about Boise State. They seem to be one of the most divisive teams in the field right now. Uh, some have them extremely safely in, some have them on the bubble. Why is there so much disparity with Boise State's seeding right now? Well, I, I, it's a good question. As Andy started to mention there, there's a big mess from about the eight seed line down to the top of the 11 line. And so that gives about 15 or so spots where you could, you, you know, you could have four of us here. We probably order them all differently. And I think that's because, you know, in Boise's case, uh, they're 23 in net, so they're like a 20 top. They, they appear to be a top 25 team right on the surface, uh, even though your own net doesn't really matter in the comparisons too much. Uh, but they do things uh, in, in higher quantities down the quadrant system. 
um, which starts to make them look much better than the power conference teams. When you look at things like they're 14 and six against the top three quads, nine and four against the top two, but the vast majority of all those games are in quad two and three because they only have one quad one win. Uh, so then it's kind of like, all right, how, uh, how high should you put them when their best win is aging extremely well, a neutral court win in the loser's bracket of an event against Texas A&M, and now all of a sudden both teams are really good, um, and a home win over Nevada. Those are the only two teams they beat in the tournament. Um, I, I do think the wins at St. Louis and at Colorado State and at UNLV kind of show they are a consistent road team, 9-5 and five overall, away neutral. All of that measures in Boise's favor. Uh, but again, you kind of got to cut the differences, and when you're comparing them to like a Missouri or Kentucky who have both won at Tennessee or even in Arkansas who's won at Rupp arena or an Oklahoma state who's run at Iowa state or, you know, some of these other options I think are just a little bit stronger. And so that's why I have Boise um, as my last 10 seed today. So I think even though it appears they're really close to the bubble, I, I think they're pretty clear above, you know, some of those teams on the extreme bubble, like your USC's and Wisconsin's. Okay. They have a really tough schedule coming down the stretch though. So they could, yes, they could swing a lot one way or the other. They, they finish New Mexico yep. at home at San Jose, San Diego state at home at Utah state. So uh, all quad one and two games for them at this point. I So yep. you know, some of those could improve dramatically, or if you go one and three in those games, uh, some of the other metrics kind of tank a little bit, but yeah, I think they're solid, but not spectacular in a lot of ways. And so they end up in that, maybe not as Rocco said, not the, you know, true bubble teams, but they're, not that far separated from them and are in that large group in the eight to 10 range. It's kind of interesting to think about. There's a lot of teams who would love to have a schedule that's extremely difficult down the stretch because they need those resume boosters, right? Teams to just line up quad one opportunities for teams on the bubble that need them for a team like Boise state that uh, is in ish right now in, in quotes, maybe, maybe they just want, some winnable games. <laughs> Maybe they don't need the gauntlet, right? Fascinating how there's two sides to that coin. Uh, the final team I want to ask you guys about is a team I got to see in person last night. That would be Northwestern. I have a crush on these guys. You guys know I'm a Big Ten guy. Uh, I think this backcourt's awesome. I don't think a lot of people have realized how awesome it is. And I like good guards in March. Now that we know Northwestern's going to make the tournament, or at least we think it, barring an implosion against a very difficult schedule down the stretch, what is Northwestern's ceiling as far as seed goes? Can they get themselves to a point where they actually have a favorable matchup in round one that they should win instead of a toss-up game, Andy? Yeah, you look at what they've got down the stretch. They've played three or four on the road, which is the you know maybe not great part, dependent upon your perspective. But if they go to Illinois, to Maryland, uh, and to Rutgers with a, a home game against Penn State uh, between the, the Maryland and Rutgers games, They've shown that they can win away from home already. So it isn't necessarily like some of the teams that we talk about where you're trying to prove that you can do that. They've already won at IU. They've won at Michigan State. Uh, they've won at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, uh, at Nebraska as well. So they've already done good work on the road, but those wins could really propel them even further up. What what really the only thing that works against them at this point is a, a non-conference strength of schedule that's close to 300 and, and the net result of that is the eight of their wins fall in Q4 right now. But they're still seven and four in quad one, 10 and seven against the top two quadrants. So uh, have done a lot of really good work there. And so for them, these games don't necessarily represent chances that you're going to get dinged a lot for losing them. 
but give great opportunity to move up the seed list. And if you look at where they probably are today in the like borderline five or six range, uh, certainly would think they're in the mix for a five, although I, I kind of did what, uh, what Rocco had said, where the committee said here was the next four teams that would be on the five line and none of them lost. So um, you figure they're probably in that six range right now, but could, I think, play themselves up to a four if they really acquit themselves well in these games on the road. Cool. Okay. Yeah. A, a lot of away games left on the list here. Rocco, were you going to mention something with Northwestern? Yeah. I just think, you know, in my, my opinion, I had them at a five on, on Friday, but again, because of the committee findings and the statements they made, I, I, I had no choice but to put them as a six right now. I think they've got the profile uh, to probably be voted above St. Mary's and uh, perhaps uh, maybe maybe UConn. I don't know. We'll have to see what the committee does there uh, if this continues. But I think the important thing, uh, or maybe the impressive thing about Northwestern is they've won. They're five and zero in their five hardest games on the on the team sheet. You know, beating Purdue, Indiana twice, Michigan State on the road, and Illinois at home. Um, those show up first five on the team sheet. Not a lot of teams go five and zero in their five hardest games. Um, I know the home loss to Ohio State is probably just going to get worse and worse because they lost that game by 16. But, I mean, with these leftover opportunities, they keep playing like this. They go 3-1, and one, and God forbid 4-0. Oh, they have to be in the top 16 discussion by uh, Selection Sunday or that week. From your words to the world's ears, Rocco. Go Wildcats. I love that team, man. I want to see them keep winning. It's crazy. I mean, such a, such a swing, man. Big Ten fans know this. Andy knows this. Like, this, this team was not good a year ago. To lose that front court to blue bloods and then to have the better resume than those blue bloods right now. Pretty insane. What Chris Collins team has turned around and done. All right, let's get Dagan in here. Uh, Dagan, what's going on in the chat right now? Any questions? Yes, there are, are some questions flying around in the chat. Um, first one, our guy, Tony wants to know why we never talk about the six to 10 seeds on the show. It's because we only have an hour. We don't have a ton of time. So this is why we have this little section here. He wants to know about his Iowa Hawkeyes. What are you guys thoughts on them? Obviously, Lost last night uh, to Northwestern. Where do you guys have them at the moment? Yeah, so for Iowa, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting one because I, I did see one of one of the other people on our panel have them still as high as a six. I personally have them as an eight, and this this kind of starts to speak to uh, just how jumbled a lot of these teams are right now. You know, for Iowa, you know, my biggest issue is uh, the, the the road damage is minimal. Uh, the win at the rack is great, but there's not anything else to really back it up. And in the in the quad one and two area, uh, they had eight road opportunities. They're two and six in those games. Uh, the second wins against a team that's not in the field, and then overall away neutral, they're four and eight. Um, and then you tack on that that home loss uh, to Eastern Illinois, which you can't totally ignore. Um, again, uh, when you're when you're comparing Iowa versus you know like Providence, Duke, Rutgers themselves, Illinois, um, those teams tend to all have a little bit more in terms of either combination of more consistent play or much better uh, road resume, especially in Rutgers case. Um, so it's not like I was far off. I had them as a high seven last Friday and just with one weekend of results, it shows how close everybody is. Uh, they now fell to an eight, uh, but they're right in that range. I had him, I had him as a seven still today. Uh, I think Rocco hit on their overall resume pretty well. They've got seven quad one wins and they had those 
uh, over the weekend when the committee reveal was done, I kind of looked to see who who had the most quad one wins that didn't even get mentioned on the show. And they were uh, yeah. them and Northwestern were the two that, that each had seven. So uh, you like that part of it. But, um, you know, there are 11 and 11 and nine, I think, in the top three quadrants, which isn't great. Um, but I think the the high end wins theoretically carry the day for them. But the lack of road accomplishments outside of winning uh, at Rutgers probably limits their their ability to move up the seed list a little bit. Although I don't know what their schedule looks like down the stretch. So there might be some I know they play at IU uh, in the next at, at Wisconsin, uh, home to Michigan State at Indiana, home to Nebraska. Yeah. So a couple of those the you know, the Wisconsin game probably bigger for Wisconsin at this point from a, a bubble perspective uh, for them to not take another home loss, but uh, would be another at least solid road win for Iowa as they, as they look forward. Yeah. I, I think both those road opportunities will have an impact uh, both Wisconsin and Indiana, Indiana, obviously a win at Indiana is a big time uh, change or probably a full seed line. If they win that. What else we got, Dagan? Uh, here we go. Uh, can Pitt lose to Notre Dame and Miami on the road and still make the field? Obviously, I would assume they have home wins then over Georgia Tech and Syracuse. Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, Pitt today, uh, interesting case. You know, their, their metrics uh, on both ends of the spectrum, uh, resume and predictive. And again, I don't usually like to start here, but I think it's kind of the more extreme part of Pitt's profile. Um, they're both right around 50, 49 on the resume, averaging in the 53 area. Uh, on predictive and they have three bad losses already. So if you add a Notre Dame loss, that gives them a fourth. Um, the thing you like about Pittsburgh is they've got four pretty solid road, road wins, three, uh, well, four decent road wins, three that are very solid with Northwestern, which just is aging so well. Uh, North Carolina is a tough place to win as we know. And then NC state's a tournament team. So uh, you add in Syracuse, that's a fourth that's in the top two quads uh, that measures out well in Pitt's uh, comparisons. And then uh, right now, if North Carolina is out of the field, which we all agree they are, um, <laughs> Pitt's actually four and one against teams in the field, which is kind of a bizarre stat, but they've lost a, to a bunch of teams that are not going to make the field. Um, so I just think as long as they don't lose that Notre Dame game to give them a fourth, you know, we might have to re-examine that and they, they wouldn't be 100% safe if they lose that. Um, I think as long as they win that one, they can afford the other loss. Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. I, there's certainly things that you can poke holes at in their resume. They're, you know, the nine, they played 10 games in quad four at this point, they're nine and one of those games that doesn't help uh, a ton, but they do have that, that kind of odd gap in the resume metrics versus the the quality metrics as well. Um, you know, non-conference strength schedule is just kind of middle of the middle of the pack, almost exactly in the middle of the pack as you look at that, but four quad one wins those road wins. Um, I, you know, I, I probably best that they don't tempt fate, but they're, they're again, kind of in that group of, of teams in that eight to 10 range where you could probably argue for them to be a little bit on the high end of that. You could argue for them to be on the low end of that. Um, but I think if all they do is lose that game at Miami, they're in, in great shape. Uh, the Notre Dame one, because it would be on the road, I guess wouldn't be as bad, but they've also already, as Rocco said, lost a bunch of games to non-tournament teams. So uh, I think minimizing that is, uh, is, is a good thing, but given what other teams are likely to do around them, they probably could survive it, but uh, but hopefully it doesn't come to that for them. Yeah, and if, if they if they do stumble down the stretch, just a final thought there, uh, they'd be a pretty easy team to put in Dayton with this type of profile, uh, with just the mix of bad and good. Don't really know what to exactly where to put them, um, but you want to get them in the, into the field, so they 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 could land there if they stumble. 
Let's do two more, Dagan. Yep, we got two more lined up here. Uh, Jacob wants to know, uh, do you think teams with higher metrics who are on the bubble, like West Virginia, for instance, uh, should be more worried now that, uh, that the committee doesn't seem to favor those quality metrics as much? Yeah, I, I would say so, because I, I think selection is a lot different than uh, seeding. Um, it, it certainly is. And, and, you know, we only have a few different brackets so far since NET took over with the RPI started in 2019. And in those examples, uh, predictive metrics have proven to be, in most cases, if they are significant, uh, they're significant more in seeding than actually getting the, the right, you know, uh, 36 at-large teams. And so when you're picking the best 36 at-large teams, you're looking at the entire uh, as we've talked about body of work, your entire story, you know, obviously injuries are now talked about quite a bit these days, but yeah, West Virginia, they do have beautiful predictive metrics because, you know, they'll, they'll play somebody at home, they'll beat them by 20 and that improves everything. But uh, you know, when you're, when you're missing calories in terms of actual total wins and you don't have an elite road win right now, like I said earlier, best road wins at Pitt um, and they have a bunch of chances to get them. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that will leave you out. Yeah, and I think you look at a team like North Carolina is kind of the poster child for that, right? You've got a team who quality metrics are relative to other teams around them on the bubble pretty good. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think I've got the most recent ones pulled up. They average out to about 39, but their, you know, their resume metrics average out to 50th. And that lines up with what you see. We talk about they haven't won Q1 games and all those things. I think it's hard to argue for a team that has accomplished less uh, to get in just because it, it looks like their, you know, their, their predictive metrics are really good. And I think it was Lucas who did uh, an article on this. I believe it was last year, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. That was, that was really good. So if he's uh, listening or when he listens to this, maybe he can retweet <laughs> it back out, but it, it, it backs up a lot of what you said, Rocco, in terms of, you know, really going through and looking in that selection skews more toward the resume metrics and and so no matter what we think or how they're using the quality metrics and, and i think you could argue they are using it to a certain extent if they have houston at number two overall uh, i don't think it's they're not using it i just am not sure that the place yes. to apply that is right at the bubble either exactly yeah and I'm, I'm getting to the point with the bubble if it stays like this where i'm going to be rooting even harder for bid steals because uh like right now i think only only out of 36 at large spots i think only 34 really deserve it um, so if we got two bid steals, that'd make it pretty easy for us, but we'll see how that plays out. And final question, Dagan. Final question. Uh, especially a, a fun little one here to end it. Uh, Brady wants to know what team in the field is most dependent on their resume metrics and what team is most dependent on their predictive metrics? Uh, good question there. I would say um, Maryland is a team uh, very high in predictives. They're 18 uh 18 and a half or, or so if you average out the ones that are listed on the team sheet uh, but you start to go through maryland's profile away from home and you look at what the committee told us on saturday morning uh, and you start to get a little bit concerned maybe for where the terps will fall um, certainly with their predictive metrics being that high they could get as high as a six uh, but with their you know they, they don't have a road win against anybody in the field yet and they play in a big time conference um, so that's a concern. They do have the Miami win, which happened, you know, when they played great at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Um, so that is a good win away from home. But beyond that, they only have one quad 1A win, um, and that that's that game. But you have, you know, a losing record in quad one, even though they have four quad one wins, losing record in the top two. 
So they're an interesting case. Um, they played seven road games, true road games in the top two quads. They're zero and seven. Um, and so that's that's my example for the predictives. I'll shoot it to Andy if he wants to take one for the uh, good resume metric. Yeah, I think one to, the one to watch, um, you kind of argue this one on, on both sides of it, is like just the Mountain West in general. Uh, if you look at the yeah. the teams that are kind of in that that rough bubble range, so we'll say Nevada, Boise, New Mexico, and Utah State, you know, you've got a few of those that have really strong resume metrics. So Nevada, 17th in KPI, 33rd in strength of record. Boise, 26th and 35th. Uh, New Mexico is a little bit the outlier there. Their strength of record is way high at 63. Um, and then Utah State's a little bit like uh, New Mexico as well, where there's a huge gap. They're 24th and 50th as you look at those. Um, so those are ones where even if you average those out on, on Utah State's behalf, that actually reflects pretty well on where they would sit. Uh, the challenge is you go then over to the quality metrics and it's uh, it's a bit of a hodgepodge. You know, New Mexico's 80th in BPI, 78th in Sagarin. Uh, almost all of them are outside of the top 50 in Sagarin and all but Boise are outside of the top 60 in BPI. So it, it's a little bit odd, but they're all clustered fairly close together uh, on on Ken Palm. So just kind of some oddities there as you, as you look at that. I feel like the Mountain West is always one. Uh, that's that way. I feel like we had some of these conversations last year. I don't remember exactly which metric hated them. Um, but, uh, yeah. and so that, that doesn't necessarily appear to have changed this year for whatever it's worth. But, um, so anyway, th those are just some interesting teams where the metrics tell a little bit different story, depending upon which ones you, you know, both resume and quality, but just even within the five metrics that are on the team sheet can tell a pretty different story. And you're trying to figure out how to, you know, do you just throw out the outlier and, and go off the rest of them or, or how that all really goes together. But I think those teams uh, certainly hope that the resume metrics, maybe with the exception of New Mexico, you know, they're hoping that resume metrics get a lot more weight because it makes them feel a whole lot safer than it might feel like they are looking at the bracket. Yeah, we all remember what happened with the Mountain West Conference in the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, I'm not saying that anyone is using that as, uh, you know, as a reason, as any sort of reasoning to uh, do these teams deserve it or not. I'm just saying it was a thing that happened. And if it happens again this year, we're going to remember that. We're going to have to put a little note down in the notepad for 2023, 2024's fielding the 68 shows that we uh, inevitably end up doing again when we talk Mountain West. Thank you to the chat. We appreciate you guys, everybody that's watching this. Uh, your questions are much appreciated on this very show. It helps us keep this going. Another thing that helps us keep this going, when you like, when you comment, when you subscribe, throw us a like. We do not have enough likes right now. I'm looking at the numbers as we speak. That helps us get in the algorithm. That helps more college basketball fans find us down the stretch of the season. So if you're watching the show and you're taking the time to comment, throw us the like button, please, as well. Thank you. Let's move to this week. There's a lot of basketball to be played. Critical, critical moments in the season that could make or break a team's resumes down the stretch. Let's go around the horn here. How about two games each that you have your eyes on uh, as this week unfolds starting tonight? Let's start with Rocco, and then we'll go back to Andy. Yeah, I have to start with uh, the Oklahoma State-West Virginia game coming up tonight. I, I think for obvious reasons for West Virginia, uh, 9 and 12 in the top three quads, uh, you know, and it's just a, a 500 issue, right? Like, we, we know West Virginia's got some good wins, but – uh, they really they got to protect their home court. They had the road games at Kansas and Iowa State after this. From Oklahoma State's perspective, you know, even though they've got the great road win at Hilton, which I think is unbelievable, they're the only team to win at Hilton this year. 
they also swept Iowa State when they came back to Stillwater. Um, and they've got the home TCU win. Um, I think Oklahoma State lost tonight. They start s- sliding down that slippery slope that West Virginia is already in because uh, they would then fall uh, b- below 500 in that same category. They would go from 11 and 11 to 11 and 12, um, a little bit more substance than West Virginia so far. Uh, but, but again, the, the Big 12 so fat, uh, sorry, so deep, um, you could easily go on a three-game losing streak, and that could be enough to knock the pokes back out. Um, so that's a huge game for both teams. None of them are, neither of them are anywhere near safe. Um, so I'll start with that. And then, you know, coming up on Wednesday night, we have a, uh, a game between Tennessee and Texas A&M bringing this up for a different reason. You know, we don't talk too much about conference standings in this, in this, uh, show, but Texas A&M's only one game behind Alabama for the SEC title, uh, in the regular season and Tennessee coming to town, obviously a, a lead opponent. It's going to give us a little bit more information about how good Texas A&M is. They've been just unbelievably on fire for the last month and a half. Um, And I think, you know, uh, they were on the bubble just a week ago. And now they climbed all the way to a seven seed for me uh, today, the last seven seed on my bracket this morning. Um, And I'm just curious to see how much higher can the Aggies keep climbing, uh, especially with some of these big games that are coming up down the stretch. So I got my eye on that one for Wednesday night at, at Reed Arena. Yeah, the Aggies have now won five straight, seven of their last eight. Just a quick point of clarification, that game is Tuesday night this week. Apologies. Um, Apologies. All good. All good. All right, let's throw it to Andy next. Andy, what two do you have your eyes on? Yeah, I, I'm, I'll I'll give a couple extra ones, I think, here. There's a lot of bubble games for teams kind of on the periphery. Uh, Tuesday, you've got Texas Tech at Oklahoma. Texas Tech playing a lot better, getting healthy. Uh, I think they still got a long way to go because they didn't really do anything in the non-conference, but that's certainly a game they have to have if they want to keep climbing. Uh, you look at uh, North Carolina probably falls in that, that that boat as well on Wednesday. They go to Notre Dame. Doesn't help you all that much if you win, but certainly not one you can afford to lose. And then if you look at Thursday, a couple of Big Ten games, Penn State still hanging on to some hopes. They go to Ohio State, and then Michigan goes to Rutgers. Um, yeah, Rocco mentioned Michigan's got a lot of good opportunities coming down the stretch. That's one of them. And then uh, talked about North Texas a little bit earlier. Their toughest yeah. game left in the uh, in the regular season comes on Thursday. They go to Charlotte. Uh, so a game that uh, helps keep them in the mix uh, there as we go and, and hope to uh, work their way into the field. They're kind of in uh, Charleston mode a little bit. Well, just keep winning, let everybody around you fall off and, and hope that that moves you up far enough. Yeah, thank you for all of those. I've got my eyes certainly on the Wolverines at Rutgers, by the way. Sounds there's rumblings. Caleb McConnell may not play. He didn't play at Wisconsin over the weekend. Suddenly, that could be a winnable game for my Wolverines. We need three of the final four for any Wolverines that are watching. We need three of the final four, and then we can have the conversation. I'm not even going to let these guys have the conversation until that happens. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. We're coming up on a full hour here on Fielding the 68. Uh, Once again, highly informative, highly fun show to be a part of. Andy Bottoms, Rocco Miller. Thank you so much for being here. We will be back again on this very show Friday afternoon, 5 p.m. Eastern, to take you into the weekend and break down everything that happened, how these teams moved around the bubble and up the seed lines again. uh, You can watch us on the YouTube channel. We're brought to you by Bet Rivers. For these two, for producer Dagan Hughes and for the entire Field of 68 Network, my name is Greg Waddell.